Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. This morning we're going to be reading Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 14. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and the one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low and they are afraid also of what is high and the terrors are in the way and the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because the man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and their spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Thanks, Taylor. Always encouraging Ecclesiastes. (laughs) This is the last week, guys. Some of you are like, yay. Um, No, Ecclesiastes, we've been through 12 weeks walking through this book. And uh, for me, I don't know for you, but for me, it's been so rich and deep and challenging. Um, For me, it's made me look at life more like what is meaningless and what is of ultimate value. And so I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're ready. Okay, can we get to the next week? I'm sure it'll be more encouraging. But it has, and for me and for others, it's been encouraging and, and illuminating. Like what really matters in life? How am I living and how does that match up with? this life that that God talks about, this deep wisdom that we find in Ecclesiastes. And so as we come to the ending of this book, I think it can feel a little anticlimactic. You know, it can feel a little like, okay, Solomon, you've seriously deconstructed my whole life. Now give me the goods, you know, what is it? And then he's like, it's to fear God and obey his commandments. And you're like, really? Like, it kind of reminds me of anybody, I'm sure some of you here have seen the movie Signs, right? Anybody hear the Alien movie? All right? I remember watching that in the theater, and I was excited because um, M. Night Shyamalan is this really, like, he did the sixth sense, you know, so he's got this psychological thriller edge. And I remember watching that movie and just waiting for the twist and thinking, oh man, this is intense. What is it gonna be? What's gonna stop the aliens? And do you remember what stops the aliens? Water. I was like, seriously? 
water? Come on, you know, it should be something more like more crazy than water, but it was water that stops the aliens. And uh, it just seemed too simple. And I wonder if we get to the end of Ecclesiastes and we hear this last verse, fear God and obey his commandments, and it just feels a little simple to us. You know, this is what Solomon says at the end. He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so that's the bomb drop. That's it. And you're like, it's been there. I feel like it's been there the whole time, you know? Um, but that's it. And what, Solomon's conclusion on what matters in life is to fear and obey God. What ultimately matters, Solomon concludes, after deconstructing everything, after saying pleasure is a vapor and uh, it, all your work is a vapor and uh, wisdom and knowledge, it's all a vapor. What matters is simply just to fear and obey God. That's it. And so we start with that today. I wanted to start there because I wanted to kind of work backwards. You know, it's interesting. This, it, it, he says it's the whole duty of man, but he isn't just saying that it's our duty to obey God. He's actually saying that this is the whole of what it means to be a person. The, the whole sum of life, the sum total of life, absolutely everything hinges on fearing and obeying God. That's what he's saying. It's not just a duty. It's not just like a box to check, but it's actually the whole of life. It's the secret, if you will, the secret to life. It's just a fear and obey God. And you, we look at that and like, that's like water in the movie signs. It's like it was there the whole time, you know? Um, and he says that's, I, <laughs> I like how he says it's the last word on the matter. You know, that's it, all has been heard. It's like no ifs, ands, or buts. It's like me with a certain child that is mine when she tries to negotiate with me, right? <laughs> it's like, no, we're done talking. Like, this is it. There's no more discussion on this. It's kind of like that. He feels like, Solomon feels like the parent who's done arguing with their child. Like, there's no more room. No, we're done. It's it. We don't really have those conversations at our house, but... Um, but at face value, you might be looking for more. You might be like, really? I, couldn't it be this plus this? Couldn't it be fearing God plus something else? Like, this just seems way too simple for our postmodern world. Like, is it really that simple just to fear and obey God? Is that it for this crazy postmodern world that we're living in? And I think we're all tempted in life to find something other or to add to fear and obedience to God. Like, yeah, but it's, it's God plus family or it's God plus country or it's God plus career or it's God plus my dreams or it's God plus whatever cause I take up. It's God plus whatever book I'm into right now. And Solomon's saying, no, actually the whole of life is to just fear and obey God. And so this morning, I want to back up and say, well, why is that? Why does he say that at the end? How do we begin to make sense of that? And I know after 12 weeks of Ecclesiastes, you guys are used to, like, depressing language. But, um, you know, we're going to unpack what he says in chapter 12. Because in chapter 12, he tells this story of how everyone's life eventually falls apart. He says, everyone's life eventually falls apart. No one is immune to the painful decline of life. No one can escape it. And it's like, yeah, we've heard this before, all right? We've been in Ecclesiastes. 
But Solomon here is an old man. He's an old man, and it says he's speaking to a young person. He uses the phrase in here, my son. And so the image we get is it's Solomon talking to this young mentee and preparing him for what lies ahead in life. Like this is what you have to prepare for. He starts in verse 1 by saying, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. So he's saying while you're young, it's really tempting to just do whatever your heart desires. It's really tempting to just follow whatever human passion you want to follow. But what he's saying is, hey, put your passion in God as early as you can. Put your passion in God as early as you can because pretty soon there will be days that you won't be able to enjoy without God. There will soon be days that you won't be able to enjoy unless you have the presence of God in your life. So let's talk about this because it's at this chapter where he focuses on age. He focuses on age and why does he do that? And I think there's this common stereotype that we have that we often equate our youth with freedom. We often equate youth with freedom. Maybe you think back on your younger days as those days where you were free to do what you wanted to do. You're free to have fun. You, didn't, you weren't married. You didn't have kids. Like whatever it was, like there was a sense of freedom. Maybe it was a time before you experienced like major uh, sadness or tragedy in your life. And now some of us, you know, that said, some of us may have experienced a difficult childhood. And we may actually feel more free now than we did back then. But there's this stereotype that when we were younger, things were simpler. Like life was simpler. You know, no real responsibilities. You know, I mentioned before when I was 20, I got to take a trip to London. I was serving on this mission team, and um, it was a really amazing trip. Like, it was challenging, yes, but it was also a lot of fun. Um, I didn't bring a picture today, but at the time, I had this huge bleached-out fro, you know? Um, it was impressive. It was a gleaming, you know, gleaming beam of light to a dark world. Um, <laughs> You know, I had two friends who also had like huge hair and huge personalities. And these are the guys I got to just hang out and goof around in, you know, these cathedrals and art museums. And, you know, it was just really cool. It was really fun. And I laughed a lot. And I remember one night while I'm on this trip, I was standing in the kitchen of this old church. You know, we were staying in this church and we were just having a good time. And I remember sitting back and saying, man, I really need to savor this moment. Like, I really need to savor this moment. I need to take this moment in and enjoy it because, like, this season is not going to last forever. This season of being young and free is not going to last forever. And I knew that life would be changing. You know, I knew that I would get married. Um, I knew that, you know, responsibility would come. And so I just thought, this is a moment to just savor for what it is. Because seasons in our lives change quickly, don't they? Seasons change quickly, and that young and free moment in life is short. In fact, at the end of chapter 11, Solomon says that youth and the dawn of life are vanity. He says youth and the dawn of life are vanity. They too are just a fleeting vapor. Here's a cynical view for you, because we need more cynicism when we read Ecclesiastes. Um, but this guy, David Gibson, put it this way. He said, uh, just as honeymoons are wasted on couples without children, so too, as the saying goes, youth is wasted on the young. 
They don't know how, this is such like an old man thing to say, by the way, right? But they don't know how good they have it because their youthfulness is all they have known. And they unthinkingly assume it will last forever. Then he says, being young feels like being unable to die. Like you don't realize that season we're in. So what do we do with that? Well, one thing we're tempted to do in our culture, in our day and age, is try to recapture youth. Try to recapture it somehow. And, you know, we, we have things like midlife crises and buy, or quarter-life crises, okay? And we, we uh, buy things maybe we shouldn't buy or we do things that, that you, you're like, this is just not the season to do that, man. Um, you know, some people might see, like, divorce as a way to recapture freedom. Like, if I could just go back to the way it was, and, you know, we, we might try to push up against it, but Solomon says that there's some things in life that are just unavoidable for everyone. And here is the real positive, cheery, I'm just kidding, but it's, here are the things that Solomon says in this chapter through all this imagery that we just read, that Taylor just read, that happens, that's unavoidable for everyone. Um, there's a list here. Uh, first he says, um, I'll just read through it. First he says, your body falls apart. Um, he says, your opportunities dry up, your desires fade, and then you die. Like, that is really, really cheery. Uh, this happens to everyone, he says. Your body falls apart, your opportunities dry up, your desires fade, and then you die. Like, oh, man, like, thanks. You know, Solomon is just slapping people with reality right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But there is no freedom in trying to go back because eventually everyone's life goes through these things. Eventually all of us go through these things. And I want to just walk through the imagery here because it's really pretty deep. First he says your body falls apart. He says, Solomon says, the day will come soon when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed. The keepers of the house, that refers to our arms and our hands. You know, uh, we want to hang on to our strength. You know, arms and hands, they sort of, uh, especially for like the male, they represent like protection. Like I protect my family with my arms and my hands. Like I go to the gym pretty infrequently, as you can tell. Um, but when I do, I notice there's a lot of guys working out on their arms, you know. And I try, and I don't do very well. But, uh, but you can see, like, there's something about strength in their arms, you know, like having strong arms. And he says, like, the keepers of the house, the arms, one day they'll tremble. And then he says, um, he says, the strong men are bent. And it's this image of a back bending with age. And the grinders that cease, that refers to our teeth. You know, this is pre-dentures. I don't know what they did back in this day. But the idea is that the eventually your teeth will wear out. And pretty soon you won't be able to eat whatever you want to eat. Um, the windows refer to your vision. Your vision will fade. You won't see life as bright and vivid as you once did. So what really, you know, you can't hang on to any of the stuff that you want to hang on to. And then he says, your opportunities dry up. He says that the doors on the street are shut. You don't have all these open doors or open opportunities like you used to have. Like, um, 
they're just they just aren't there like my my grandpa went through this my grandpa was a career architect uh, he traveled to um, different countries and worked for foreign governments and built these huge projects in like Nicaragua and Saudi Arabia and Israel and then when he hit his late 70s he still wanted to find work but he couldn't find it anywhere you know so it's like there's there's a sense of like opportunities um, drying up he says eventually you know, all the joys that you have now, like the, there won't be as many opportunities. He says that they are afraid also of what is high and terrors in the way. He said, you know, all that adventure that you're saving for retirement, like you might not have the energy to do it. Uh, he's saying the older you get, the more risk averse you become. And this is just Solomon making generalization. So I, I you know, want to say this, um, you know, just in explaining what he's saying. You don't want life shaken up or, you know, the prospect of, of travel. It brings with us sort of this fear. And then Solomon says, your desires fade. In the NIV, it says that the grasshopper drags itself along and desire is no longer stirred. So all those, all those human desires we, we said we'd live for in youth, like the desire is just not there when you get older. It fades. You know, one of those things is that like the desire for sex, that it fades. He's talking about, really, that's the main thing he's talking about here is sex. You know, often our, some of our biggest decisions in life involve sex. And um, many of us, you know, or many people equate sex with personal freedom. And for the Christ follower, you know, marriage is what gives us that freedom to enjoy sex. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's uh, the time where we get to experience God's gift of sex because he created it to be beautiful. Um, but in culture, um, if we chase sex, it, we might, ex uh, we might, um, equate sex with freedom, meaning, you know, I can have sex with whoever I want, whenever I want, and that's how I express freedom. And so often in culture, marriage is seen as a loss of that freedom. And uh, even if, you know, you're not being fulfilled, maybe you'll leave the marriage. And Solomon is saying that's a bad thing to base your life on. That's a bad thing to base your life on because that desire will fade. It won't bring the freedom or joy that you think it will, so don't live for it. And then our final loss of freedom in Solomon's words is death. He uses lots of imagery here. He says, the cord is snapped, the bull is broken, the pitcher is shattered, the wheel is broken, you know, on and on and on. <laughs> Dust returns to the earth and the spirit returns to God. These are all word pictures of death. Death happens suddenly and permanently. We can't stop it and we can't fix it. And so what Solomon is saying is because that's our fate, because everybody goes through that, the only thing that matters is to be faithful and obedient to God. That's what will matter in the end. When everything else falls apart, it's that relationship with God that will remain. And that's how he comes to this conclusion. You know, there was someone else with even more wisdom than Solomon who said pretty much the same thing. Jesus gives this illustration of why living a faithful and obedient life uh, is so important. And he tells this to his disciples. You probably know this passage, but he talks to his disciples in Matthew 7 and he says this. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds his house on solid rock. 
Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse. It will not collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. It's like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So think about that. Think about the storms and the torrents of life in, in terms of what Solomon just said, because Solomon just spelled them out. The same storms, the same rain comes for all of us. You know, we all have bodies fall apart. We all have opportunities dry up. We all have desires that fade, and we all face death. So the storms are going to come. What do we do about it? And what Jesus is saying is that living in momentary passion, living in whatever seems good in the moment is like playing in the sand. It's like playing in the sand in the face of a tidal wave. You know, storms are going to come and everything we have will fade. But Jesus offers us this foundation that really can't be moved. And that's the beauty of obeying and following Jesus is that he offers us a foundation that can't be moved. He offers us a life that can't be rattled even in death. Even if our bodies fall apart, we're unshakable. Even as opportunities dry up, we're secure in relationship with him. Jesus replaces being controlled by human desires with a desire to be with him. And it grows as time goes on. And even though we die, we live forever. That's the foundation that Christ provides. And so for us, for the Christian, our hope is not in a fleeting life. It's in a forever life with him. It's not in the fleeting life. It's in a forever life. And Jesus says plainly that anyone who hears his teaching and does it is wise. And, but anyone who doesn't is foolish. It's like spending your life, which is what you have to invest. God's given you a life to invest somewhere. God's given you a life to do something well with. And it's like taking that life and building this gorgeous house on sand. Soon everything that you've built will go away. It will collapse. I borrowed this from a guy named Tim Mackey, but um, how many of you have been to a sandcastle competition before? We had one in Birch Bay, you know. Um, we also have one down in uh, Cannon Beach. Anybody been to the one down in Cannon Beach in Oregon? It's pretty cool. Um, professionals, there's actually professional sandcastle builders. Did you know this? <laughs> like, how do you get into that? It's like, well, my dad was into it, and then how? I don't know. But professionals come to these beaches every year on Cannon Beach, and they build these ornate, beautiful castles, amazing castles. Um, there was a guy who built like an entire mini golf course in like a matter of three hours out here on the sand. Um, you know, but the competition starts at 9.30, and then everybody's pretty much out of there by 3.30, right? Why? The tide comes in, right? You can't stop the tide. It's coming in. It's inevitable. It comes in, and no matter how, it doesn't care how beautiful the castles are. It has no mercy. It just wipes them all out. It's just, not, it, by 5 or 6, you wouldn't be able to tell if there was even a castle there to begin with. It would just be a clean beach. 
And so no matter how beautiful or wonderful we think we can build our lives on our own, in the end, it's meaningless without the solid foundation of Jesus. So the question is for us, is will we trust in our wisdom or will we trust in the wisdom of Jesus? Will we trust in the wisdom of Jesus or will we trust in our own wisdom? Solomon says this about wisdom as he begins to wrap up this book. In verse 11, he says, The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. I think it's interesting, even in Ecclesiastes, there's this foreshadowing to Jesus that they are given by one shepherd, that these words of wisdom are given by one shepherd. And um, he says the words of the wise, the words of God are like goads. Does anybody know what a goad is? Goad? Okay. Yeah, I know. It's like, we don't really use it in farming, but it's like anymore, but it was essentially like a cane or a staff that had a curved um, spike on it. And for a shepherd, they'd use it to get the sheep in the right direction because sheep are kind of stubborn. And so sometimes they would need to get, uh, you know, directed in, in the, the appropriate uh, place. If they don't, uh, like if a sheep's going off a cliff, they need to get directed. If a sheep's going in a dangerous area, they need to get corrected. And he's saying that's what the words of the wise are. They're like this goad that God uses to put our life on the right path. And the goad hurts sometimes, right? It hurts to get hit with the goad, but ultimately it's freedom, it's life. It leads us to life. We don't wander off and get eaten by wolves. And so he's saying that the wise words of God, they're like the goads that, that point us in the right direction. That is the word of God. You know, look, at else, uh, look what else Solomon says in verse 12. He says, my son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness to the flesh. Amen, man. Yes. Um, he says, there are so many books out there. There are so many, so much like uh, thought out there that you can take and digest and try your best to, you know, figure out what life is all about. But he said, root your life in the bedrock. Like, spend time in scripture because trying to know everything about everything is exhausting. You know, we can't know everything about everything. And so Solomon says to stay in the words of God because those are ultimately the ones that lead to life. So how is that reflected in your life? Are you consuming the words of God? Are those, is it taking root in you? Are you um, taking scripture and allowing your life to be shaped by it? Or are you allowing your life to be shaped by other things that might sound good, but ultimately aren't the truth of God, that don't contain the wisdom of God? He says, of making many books, there is no end. So we need to, and, and we should read other books for sure, but our life needs to be rooted in the bedrock of Christ, in the bedrock of his, of his word. So now we kind of come to the conclusion of this whole thing. We come to the end, and we see the beauty of Solomon's conclusion is this. To fear and obey God is to be free. To fear and obey God is to be free. See, what seems like it's anticlimactic, it's like, really? Come on. It's actually really, really profound. 
you know, the twist is that the things that we think make us free in life don't, and the thing that we think restricts us in life actually sets us free. Like that's this twist that we, we see is this, this thing that we think restricts us actually sets us free. Again, we'll come to that verse, the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So how does this set us free? How does, how, how does fear and obedience to God, how does, it, how does it set us free? And I would say this, is that freedom needs form. Freedom needs form. We actually need greater structure in our lives in order to be free people. We actually need the goad to help lead us to life. And Ellis Potter gave this example of gravity. He said this, he said, gravity is one of the three basic forms or structures of reality, but it gives us certain freedom. If gravity was not here and I began to walk, I would float and I'd spin and soon I'd be dead. Form or structure is necessary. And then he gave this equation. He said, total freedom equals death. Like we actually need the structure that God provides. We need the, the framework that God gives us because total freedom leads to death. See, freedom in God's eyes, he made us to be free people in relationship with him. Like our freedom comes from being connected to God, free from sin, free from shame, all of that. But instead, we've opted for total freedom. This idea, like, I don't need any of that. I can do whatever I want to do. I can live for my own life, my own structure, my own purpose. And what he's saying is that total freedom actually kills us. Like, you've seen the result of selfishness, right? Like, left to ourselves, we're kind of selfish people.